Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, what a way to start a Friday. Uh, we are live. We are on the air. We are on backkeel.com. I hope you're watching there. Uh, if you are a podcast person uh, today and you don't know where to find the show live when you want to and are able to listen to it live, go to backkeel.com. That's where you need to go to find us live these days uh, or also on uh, you know various pod situations like TuneIn and Stitcher and stuff like that, right? I mean, we're, I don't know. We're all over the place. It is Friday. I'm very excited for today's show. We've got uh, Dwayne Rollins, our friend from Canadian Soccer News, joining us in just a couple of minutes. A couple of things coming out of Canada, not just a preview of tonight's matchup, the United States and Canada, you know, friendly. Uh, we'll talk to Dwayne, obviously, about what the Canadians hope to achieve with that, with that match um, at the StubHub Center. Last time the United States played Canada, we were all bored to death. I think that game was down in Houston. Let's hope we don't get a repeat of that. Uh, but there's other news out of Canada. Canada, believe it or not, is starting their own Premier League. And, and we'll get into the details of what exactly that is and, and what the goals are and, and how much money's being spent and, and everything else. Dwayne's been on top of this story for a while now, but it's now gotten some mainstream publicity up in Canada. And there's certainly a, a, a consequence to the reaction to mainstream um, uh, coverage up in, up in Canada again. The Canadian Premier League is the plan. So well, it, 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 fascinating times in Canadian soccer, uh, just as it is always down here in the United States as well. So Dwayne Rollins, Canadian Soccer News, 24th minute, coming up in just a couple of minutes here on Soccer Morning. We start with the stunning news that Liverpool target Alex, Alex Teixeira has joined Jiangsu Suning in China for 50 million euros. The Shakhtar Donetsk midfielder explained his reasoning on Shakhtar's website. Uh, let's put it like this, he said. Everyone always knew that I wanted to stay in Europe and move to the English Premier League club. But unfortunately, all the proposals that came from them were somewhat windy and did not contain anything concrete. Now I have received a serious offer from China. Of course, I'm moving there. At this stage, the Brazil national team will move away from me a little further. But let's, let's, see, let's see what happens in the future. It all happened very quickly, in just a twinkling. I was at the airport going to the training camp, and my agent phoned me up. He said that Shakhtar had received a 50 million euro offer. I immediately wondered whether it would be good for me, my family, the club, and took the appropriate decision. I wanted to make it to the English Premier League one day. But until now, all my thoughts have been focused on Shakhtar. As I said, anything that happens so fast, I don't even have time to realize it. It goes on and on here. Uh, he talks about the speed with which this, this deal came around. It's about the money, okay? And, and I don't even begrudge Alex Teixeira the right to go chase the money. Um, you know, we talked about Stuart Holden in his retirement yesterday a little bit on the, on the Sirius XM show. And one thing I said is when a player has the opportunity to get paid, they should get paid because you never know when it's all going to go sideways. Alex Teixeira was, uh, was at Shakhtar Donetsk uh, in the Ukraine for six years. He played 223 matches, scored 89 goals, won 13 trophies with them. That's all stuff they put on their, uh, on their Twitter feed as they thanked him for his time there in Shakhtar. Stunning development. Again, this, is, this was a player uh, for whom Liverpool was, uh, was uh, a major possibility in this window. Shakhtar rejected a 32 million pound bid from Liverpool during the transfer window. And again, China and their money has come to bear on the international player market, at least in this particular window, and we'll see what the uh, ramifications will be. U.S. soccer moved to have its lawsuit against the U.S. women's national team 
Players Union sealed after personal information was included in the original publicly available filing. They actually did replace the publicly available filing with a redacted filing and then went to have the the, uh, lawsuit sealed. So I'm not sure what's going on here. Home addresses and email accounts of 28 players were made public and exhibits included in the lawsuit. Megan Rapinoe said, naturally, we're upset. The players are very, very upset. We feel disrespected. We feel that our personal information, our privacy, and our safety was handled frivolously and with real negligence. I doubt it was purposeful, but it's an egregious error and one that's unacceptable. We're public figures. There have been issues of privacy and hacking and stalkers. It's very unsettling. We're upset. To know that someone could show up at your door, that's extremely unsettling, and it's something that you can't get back. So uh, a big, big, big problem there. As uh, Not only has the U.S. As US Soccer filed a lawsuit against its players, but now they've got this issue of getting back a little bit of trust and going ahead with negotiations after having revealed the uh, home addresses and email addresses of 28 players in that national team. Reports out of St. Louis indicate that Major League Soccer will begin searching for a downtown stadium site immediately, Garber told uh, Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, obviously, told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that several local groups have approached him about potential ownership stake. MLS has announced plans to extend to 28 teams. We know that after moving to uh, a plan for 24, they've pushed it up to 28. Um, Garber has talked about uh, St. Louis for a couple of uh, weeks now pretty uh, pretty aggressively. In addition to St. Louis, Garber told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, that uh, cities vying for expansion franchises include Sacramento, San Diego, San Antonio, and Detroit. Those are the names legitimately listed in the story uh, that I pulled up this morning when looking for uh, when looking at uh, you know when looking into the news today. So I, I don't know if it's limited to those cities and there are uh, if it's just those cities that are vying for a spot in the twenty eight, or if there are other cities who may uh, pop up. Certainly, we've heard uh, I've heard Charlotte. We know Louisville is making a push. Um, there's a couple of other cities out there uh, who may have interest in an MLS franchise who just aren't on the uh, radar or aren't in the first tier um, at this point. Garber said, nobody argues that St. Louis is not a great soccer market. It has a passionate fan base and a great soccer history with packed crowds at national team and international soccer games here. St. Louis fans have recently proven their market power. Um, also, the league likes uh, the rivalries, uh, potential rivalries between St. Louis and um, uh, teams in, in obviously, uh, Kansas City and Chicago, a Midwest uh, situation there, maybe trying to replicate something that's happening uh, in Cascadia at the moment. Liverpool fans are planning a walkout in the 77th minute of Saturday's match against Sunderland at Anfield in protest of the ticket price hikes announced uh, by the uh, ticket price hike, excuse me, announced by the team. This is all for next year. Uh, the most expensive uh, ticket in the redeveloped main stand at Anfield because, of course, uh, part of the issue at, 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 at Liverpool has been the stadium situation. They're redeveloping the main stand. It will rise from 59 pounds or $86, roughly $86, to 77 pounds or roughly $111, since the, uh, hence the 77th minute walkout, um, the $77 uh, price for that ticket. Um, you've, got, you've got some upset fans here. Uh, the team has said 64% of prices will freeze or decrease around the stadium and 50, 50, 45% excuse me, of match day tickets will also um, drop in price. New initiatives include a nine-pound match day ticket. Uh, new initiatives include a nine-pound match day ticket for local youngsters uh, for three games, an introduction 
of 1,000 youth adult tic- young adult tickets excuse me, for 17 to 21-year-olds. So the team's doing some stuff. The, the fans aren't happy about some of the price hikes, and we're going to see if there's a walkout at Anfield on Saturday. The United States takes on Canada tonight in the second of their two January camp friendlies at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Kickoff set for, it's listed at 10.15. Don't get fooled. It's not going to go off until 10.45. The United States comes in off a 3-2 win over Iceland on Sunday. We'll talk to Dwayne Rollins from the 24th Minute, uh, or sorry, from Canadian Soccer News. Uh, He is the 24th Minute on Twitter. We'll talk to him right now. And also check in on the Canadian Premier League and the plans there. It's Soccer Morning on Backhill.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning, working through some issues here, but we're here on the air. We've got our friend Dwayne Rollins from Canadian Soccer News. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, 24th Minute. Uh, he's an OG. How you doing, Dwayne? I'm well, Jason. Good to be back. It's good to have you. All right, so it, it's a couple of interesting things here. Of course, everybody knows that there's a game tonight, uh, pretty late for us East Coast people, but whatever. Uh, we'll stay up and watch it because that's kind of soccer junkies that we are. We'll, we'll get to what is essentially a meaningless friendly that will no doubt give these two coaches a little bit of information about their young players. And we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start with what I think is a more interesting development, and that's um, the continuing planning for something called the Canadian Premier League, or at least that's uh, the name that's been presented on, on your, your website and others. And, and, I, and I guess if I, if I don't have this incorrect, Wayne, I, I guess what we're dealing with here is a story that you've been tracking for a couple of years now, at least in terms of the planning for something like this, that has now gone a little mainstream? Yeah, pretty much. There, a newspaper by the name of the Hamilton Spectator, which is uh, just outside of Toronto, uh, basically did a, a municipal politics report that they traced back to this league. They're, they're going to put a bubble over the, the, sorry, the CFL field that's there. and the, the, the purpose of the bubble is to train soccer teams in the in the offseason, in the winter, and uh, they, they said in the article that that would be a team in these, this new professional Canadian Premier League. So that's sort of what's blown up in the last few days. There wasn't a lot of information in the story that, that again, that I hadn't reported, but in terms of the mainstream of the general sports uh, audience, it, it was the first they'd heard of it. So there's obviously been a lot of attention about that in the, in, in the days that have followed that article coming out, I believe on Wednesday is when it came out. So uh, interesting times for sure for the CSA. They didn't, in my mind, mean for this leak to get out at this time. They, they've been trying to get all their ducks in, in order to before they made announcements, but uh, it's out now. So they, the, the pressure's on, the, the mm-hmm. clock is ticking for them. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's you know, put some context around what this is and, and, and what the CSA hopes to accomplish. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've read your, I, I read your post today about it, or, or maybe that was yesterday. It, 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 you clearly identify this as part of, of the development plan of the CSA, but as you point out, the league has to operate as a viable entertainment product if it's going to be successful enough to even have a chance to develop players. Absolutely, and I think that that's what a lot of us that get deep inside this issue forget sometimes is that it's great to develop players, but that's not necessarily what's going to get people into the stadiums watching the product. You need to make a viable uh, league league that's entertaining on its own merits uh, to, to for that for people to come out and watch that, and and certainly 
my what I will say to anyone who who questions whether the CSA is rushing into that this or, or or what have you is that they've been doing planning for this for about three years now, from what I can tell. I've known of it for about two years, and I believe that the planning was already well underway when by the time that I first caught wind of it. So they're aware of stuff like this, and and, and they they need to they need to be because as as I said in the article, as you just said a moment ago, if if it's not entertaining, if it's not drawing people out and making the people of Winnipeg, of Regina, of wherever want to go out and support a team, then then it's really not much use. It's just going to crash and fail, and it'll be another another story in the. Uh, you know, the story of North American failed leagues, and, and we right. don't need that. We no. can't afford that up here right now. No, and, and this is why, I mean, you know, when we get into some questions about the way that, that MLS operates, certainly there, there are a lot, there, there's a lot of criticisms to be levied and legitimate ones, but the thing that has to underpin all of this is just the league has to keep going and these teams have to exist. So when the Canadian uh, Soccer Association's put together a new idea for a league, I imagine they're going to be extremely cautious about this. And, and what it all comes down to, of course, Dwayne, is money. So where's the money coming from? How much money is going to be spent? And, and really, how big of a, uh, of a project are we talking about here? It, well, it's, it's fairly significant. And the biggest thing that the CSA identified is the need to have deep-pocketed investors, similar to when MLS started. They need to have people that are passionate about the idea and believe in the long-term possibilities of a project that will absolutely lose money for three, four, five, six years, maybe more. So the the type of ownership groups that that they've identified and that have, I've been told are are people that have a lot more money than you and I, Jason. We're, we're talking about the guys that own the Calgary Flames, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, some CFL teams. So, so deep-pocket guys. Out there, and the CSA just realizes that it has to be a loss leader in many ways. You you just have to realize that it's not going to make money for several years, but you have to believe in the long term possibility of it. It's all, and maybe you'll get there in a minute, but it's all ultimately tied into a 2026 World Cup bid as well, okay. obviously, which yeah. I believe a lot of people uh, are buying into at that. Uh, ownership level. It's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, you know, obviously we know the history of. Of, of the World Cup uh, coming to the United States was that, that FIFA basically said, hey, you need to have a first division league up and running. Um, you know, if not before the World Cup, shortly thereafter, it, it took them a little while to get MLS going. And I, I don't imagine that this is a FIFA mandate. This is basically, can, uh, you know, Canadian soccer people saying we need to do this on our own uh, to make ourselves look better for any pot- uh, potential bid. Uh, the, the process of bidding has changed pretty mightily since the 80s, uh, Dwayne. I know you know that. So, so exactly, I mean, is, is that, is that, it's tied to that, but this is going. This isn't going to be first division, at least when it comes to you know you're going to still have Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto. How is this going to work? How is it going to fit into the the grander scheme of Canadian soccer? Where's it going to Where's it going to fall division wise? Yeah, one A is what they keep calling it. I, I refer to it as the quote unquote Welsh model is how I like to describe okay, it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you'll have this this league, the Canadian Premier League, running parallel to the MLS teams, and I, I want to stress that there's no um, desire to to boot the Canadian MLS teams out of MLS. They don't want to pull them back because I think the CSA recognizes quite rightfully that it would be decades before they could even dream of catching up to that level. So that they want to have those three top level teams in the country, just like you have a Swansea, a Cardiff City in Wales. You want to have these the TFC, Vancouver, Montreal in, in MLS, and, and to have a parallel level, which. I think that they visualize as being similar to the NASL in terms of, of skill and, and abilities, but that's, that's kind of how they want it. 1A is what they'll, they'll market it as, but realistically, it's going to be more of a 
I, I suspect it will launch at about a USL pro level. Okay. But they they want to eventually get it up to an NASL well, level quickly. I, I, and as long as we're so, talking about we're talking about fully professional here. I mean, look, that's there's all obviously relative levels of professionalism in in terms of how we judge the way clubs operate and leagues operate. But these players are going to be fully professional. Yeah, the the figure I've been given is 1.5 million. That's Canadian, by the way. 1.5 million dollars as a budget. I'm not entirely certain and haven't been able to uh, confirm whether they, that's a salary cap budget or whether that's an entire operating budget. But it absolutely won't be semi-pro. It, the, the players will be paid. They'll be paid maybe wages that uh, MLS fans would be familiar with 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be paid money. Uh, they'll be fully professional athletes. And I imagine that the uh, with folding in the development goal while also acknowledging the importance of making these teams attractive to fans, there's going to be pretty strict limits on foreign players and the like, or at least maybe that we're not to that point yet. Um, 75% is the quota that I've heard in terms of what they want the Canadian makeup to be that 75% of the roster will be Canadian. Now that might be a pipe dream off the start. Um, certainly it is difficult to figure where you're going to find that many players to fill out even eight teams of 75% Canadians at this particular juncture. However, that is, I think, the ultimate goal that they're working towards. I suspect uh, it's realistic that this league would also benefit a certain type of American player because I suspect most of the international players that will come in off the top will be guys that that come out of the NCAA system that sort of are at that level. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so it will be beneficial to the American system as well. But there certainly will be a very strong Canadian quota within it. Uh, did you? Did we talk about the number of teams here? How many? Uh, you, uh, you mentioned some groups. Um, certainly, the CFL ownership groups who might be involved. But uh, what's the goal for for launch? Six, eight, uh, somewhere in that area. Eight. Yeah, they they originally wanted nine, and but uh, the Edmonton group, FC Edmonton, is, is reluctant to to leave the NASL at this particular juncture. So. They've targeted eight. Uh, right now, they have six pretty solid groups, and they're trying very hard to get a Toronto and a Vancouver group in. They, they don't want to launch the league without a Toronto presence, right. uh, even if that Toronto presence doesn't draw very much. And there is a, a feeling that it might not. They, they just, for media purposes in this country, you need to be in the, in the major cities in Toronto and Vancouver. So that, that's kind of what the holdup is right now, from what I can tell. But yeah, right now, there are six, uh, six cities, uh, Montreal, Ottawa. Hamilton, which is just outside Toronto, uh, Regina, Winnipeg, and uh, Calgary. Okay. It's interesting. Okay, so we talked about the MLS teams, and obviously uh, having an MLS presence is still um, something that that benefits uh, Canadian soccer, and and you're not booting those teams out. But um, you did just just say that Edmonton's NASL team doesn't want to leave NASL. Is there an attempt here to get get the NASL teams in Canada to, to jump ship? Yeah, they, they're they taking a carrot, not a stick approach, though. Um, this, I, this has been stressed to me that they don't want to force any of these existing teams out of their existing leagues. Uh, they, that would be too heavy handed in, in their minds that they, that would they'd lose people by doing that. They'd lose fans by doing that. So they want to incentivize them, the, these these teams to come to demonstrate to them that it's in their best interest. And and basically at this particular time, although the fury on in public are, are still saying that they're committed to NASL. Behind the scenes, they're they're very closely aligned with this project. Edmonton, uh, Tom Faith, their owner there, is a guy that's invested a lot of money in NASL, and he's reluctant to leave that. Um, I think that when you look at the Canadian dollar situation and the travel problems that Edmonton has, that it ultimately might make more sense for him eventually to, to make that jump, but certainly the CSA wants to demonstrate that rather than to force that. A uh, question from Richard on Twitter. Dwayne, he's, he's asking if the CSA is looking for any sort of partnership uh, a la MLS and USL. 
Um, in in terms of, uh, I guess, in terms know, of of the MLS teams, maybe in Canada, partnering with with Canadian Premier League teams on some level. I, I mean, you can have those relationships maybe without them being official. Yeah, I, I certainly think that they'd want to. They they don't want to create a. Uh, an environment where they're they're fighting tooth and nail with the MLS teams, but I do believe that they would view them um, as competitors in the markets, particularly if they're in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. That they'll want to they'll be looking to to take some fans away from them. So I don't know if you'll see direct partnerships, but they certainly I don't think will be trying to be adversarial with them. Uh, that that right. wouldn't benefit anyone, I, I don't believe. But uh, you know, in terms of maybe some loan players coming down, things sure. like that, you yeah. might see a bit of that. But I believe that really the, it will be imperative to try and demonstrate that they're not like the little brother to uh to the MLS sure, teams even sure. if they even if they legitimately are maybe they, maybe to demonstrate yeah, yeah maybe maybe work a little bit more like the USL teams but position themselves more like the NASL has positioned themselves uh in in, in this uh, in the North American market um so much to unpack here uh the the goals i mean again a couple of years planning here i imagine they have targets 1.5 million dollars is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money, and if you know what I mean, of course you do. So, what's the, what are attendance targets, and what are the stadium situations? Yeah, the CFL stadiums basically are, are what they're targeting. So, it's it's very much will look like MLS did in 1996 uh, off, off the start. There there won't be a lot of soccer specific stadiums. They'll be playing in, in stadiums that are probably too big for them, um, but the, they'll be cheap because their ownerships will be tied in with with the ownerships of the CFL uh, side, and they're also using the CFL for a lot of the crossover marketing and TV. Uh, TV possibilities. I've heard that TSN is involved in this as well. Um, in terms of numbers in the stands, the number that I, I keep getting told is between five and seven thousand is okay. what they would be okay with off the start, and and to grow it from there. Um, certainly, they're they're realistic. I mean, they they understand that this is going to be a tough sell to a lot of Canadians. The Canadians that are all you know, it's the same problems you have in the United States, Jason. You you have guys that are going to be inclined to not care about local soccer. And then those that are are already tied in and talk, looking at MLS and viewing it as a higher level. So it's a really tough sell. But they, the CSA believes very strongly that they need to to get out there and to get into markets that MLS will never touch in this country. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, TSN, so the television element obviously crucial. You, you've got to have a national footprint, some kind of national relevancy in order to get people to even imagine they should care. Uh, it seems like television gives, um, you know, is what legitimizes sports leagues these days. So what's the television situation? Yeah, again, I mean, TSN's what I've been told, uh, that they would be partners because the, basically the CFL is very involved with this. They view it as sort of an extension of their branding, another Canadian league. They can sort of tie it in and share the stadiums. TSN, for those that don't know, is, is, is very associated with the CFL up here. Uh, that is one of their biggest products. So they would probably use this as as further uh, programming for for the down months in their season. The CSN obviously also doesn't have the NHL anymore, so they need programming. So that's a big part of uh, of their interest. Uh, but yeah, the the CSA absolutely understands that they need to be on a major Canadian sports yeah. network to be seen as legitimate. I don't know that this has come up yet. If they're to this point yet, I imagine there's there's stuff behind the scenes. Uh, maybe hush hush, as you said, they've been keeping this fairly quiet until the uh, the Hamilton paper put it out there. Um, the situation with um, branding and, and all of that. I mean, I, I just watched last night the new USL team in San Antonio unveil their name and their logo. I, I'm, I'm pretty underwhelmed, Dwayne. It's a discussion for a different day. But, you know, we, we know that these things sort of matter, uh, at least in the initial buzz phase of getting people interested. 
are they going to go with their are they going to go with individual identities and and try to create something unique are they going to follow the you know uh, the the traditional soccer model of, of place name FC or are they going to go with maybe tying it directly into the to the CFL team it, it, that's interesting and you know there are conflicting thoughts on this there are some people that want to you know bring back the blizzard and the boomers and the NASL names and, and and so on and so forth but there are others just like in the United States that that view that as is you know a tip to to failures of the past one one thing that is interesting is that they they're trying to partner up these ownership groups that don't have a lot of soccer experience with existing clubs. So, for instance, okay. one thing I've heard is that the Hamilton Club will be tied in with Sigma FC, which people may know as the as the academy that has developed Kyle Lyon and, and, and players like that. So you might see a situation where if they're tied in with these existing technical groups, that they may absorb the branding of those groups. But that's, I think, a little bit further along in the in the planning stage at this particular point in terms of exactly how they'll do this. But the the uh, what I do find interesting is that, that partnership, that cooperation with the existing uh, academies or, or clubs that are out there, uh, they're identifying the need to have soccer knowledge, and, and this is how they want to address that. All right, there you go. That's the uh, Canadian Premier League um, in the planning stages. Of course, as uh, we just talked about, maybe hitting the mainstream news a little bit more than previously um, uh, previously wanted by the CSA. But they've got they got to move forward now, Dwayne. We'll be tracking uh, Canadian soccer news for updates on that. Since I have you here, and again, there's a game tonight um, in in California between the United States and Canada. I suppose we have to talk about it a little bit. I'll tell you this, Dwayne. I have no idea what to expect from Jurgen Klinsmann in terms of lineup and, and, and formation and approach to this. I imagine he'll want to take the game to the Canadians, but beyond that, I, I don't know what to expect. Do you have any idea what to expect out of Benito Flora? Uh, I suspect that they will use this opportunity to line up in the way that they will line up against Mexico. So what that will likely look like is they will have a lot of men behind the ball and they will be looking for opportunities on the counter. Um, that that makes the most sense. That's what they're using this game is to prepare for those games in March uh, against Mexico, home and home and home. Uh, that's more important, obviously. So I, I suspect that that's what you'll see from Flora. And Flora really is not a guy that's inclined to open it up anyway. Uh, Canadian soccer, the Canadian men's national team lately has been pretty dull to watch as a neutral. They they play a lot of nil nils. They they don't give up a lot of awful lot of chances, and they don't certainly score a lot of chances. So I wouldn't uh, if you're going to bet the the over tonight, I keep your money in your pocket. <laughs> So there you go. Um, so, so I mean, the last time I think it's the last time that they played it was a, it was a scoreless draw, right? A goalless draw. Yeah, up at, at BMO, yeah. No, oh, that no. was that. A, was that a BMO? Okay, I got my my places incorrect, but it doesn't matter because I'm trying to block that game out of my head anyway. Um, and and, and, and I, I guess again, you know, for the Americans, it's maybe some younger talent. Certainly, there's some younger, exciting talent in the Canadian program. How how quickly can Floro start to rely on younger players? Um, especially with that that showdown with Mexico coming up, and I mean, obviously for people down here who who may not have an appreciation of the full talent pool, we're, we're focused on guys like Kyle Lahren. Yeah, and Kyle Lahren's key. They, they need him to score. Uh, he re, he really is the uh, their main focal point up front, and it's it's kind of not ideal to be relying so so much on such a young player. But that's that's the nature of the beast here. Um, Floro has shown a lot of faith in the younger players that he's brought in, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for turning around what was a disaster of a program three years ago into a program that now has a legitimate chance of qualifying for the Hex. I, I don't know if they're going to get there, but they are competitive right now in that group stage. They are currently in second place. 
home and home with Mexico is going to be tough, but they will probably be in with a chance in the, in the final two group games. So, so uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that. They, they're going to play very hyper defensively. They're going to rely on the talent that they have. And uh, I think the greatest thing that this group under Floro ha- has achieved is a desire and a willingness to play for each other. That hasn't always been the case with the Canadian teams in the past. There's been a lot of sort of reluctance to, you know, waste time in their minds to fly over from Europe and play for a no hope uh, organization, which is how it was viewed bluntly. Uh, doesn't have that same feel anymore, and that's the greatest thing that Floro has accomplished in in the time that he's been in charge. All right. So um, beyond uh, beyond Laren, who else are we looking for tonight? I mean, it, it, whether or not they they actually end up playing, I won't put that on. You can't predict the future. But if there was a, a name or two that American fans should maybe be focused on from the Canadian side, who's who's the talent that you're looking at? Um, I think that the player that I'll be looking at uh, tonight most closely and that some American fans may be familiar with already through his time in Major League Soccer is Daniel Henry. Uh, Daniel, of course, went to West Ham last year uh, around the same time that uh, Yedlin went to Spurs uh, with much less hype. <laughs> and uh, for, for, love, for, 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 good, for understandable reasons. But certainly he's been just wrecked with injuries since. So this is an opportunity for him to come back and show that he has not really lost a step since he's came back. And, and you know, I hate to point to a defender as the key guy to watch, but in many ways he he may very well be because that's, again, how Canada's going to play tonight. So I'll be watching for Henry to see how he does in his return back after a, quite an unfortunate and a long time out. Okay, there you go. A couple of names that other people that the people might know is uh, the Kyle Becker, obviously, in this team, Will Johnson in this team, Julian Guzman. Uh, Carl Wimet, the New York Red Bulls defender. Uh, you mentioned Daniel Henry. We've got um, uh, Tesho Akindele, who's um, a Canadian international now. I think there was that question for a little while whether he might turn up for the Americans. I, I think that's probably been settled, Dwayne. Is that the, the way that you feel? I mean, I don't think he's been cap-tied yet. No, no, he, he was cap-tied in the last round. Okay, uh, there the you go. So yeah. yeah, that's done. Does he, I mean, you know, again, regardless of whether or not he actually had a shot with the U.S., um, does he bring something to the table for the Canadians? Is he, guy, is he a guy that can help in the in the uh, the bid to get into the hex? Sure, yeah. I mean, any player that can play forward and offensive is, is useful in the Canadian system. He doesn't necessarily start when there's a full team lineup there. Uh, they have some wide players that, that are in Europe, uh, Junior Holat. Uh, uh, there's a player at uh, Burnley that is a Scottish that they've nationalized, basically, that he's had a, his father was born in Canada, so they're, they're going to bring him over. So he's a little bit further down the depth chart, but certainly... That's another example of one thing that Floro has done is he brought he's brought in a lot of guys like that to add depth to this program. There wasn't very much at all prior to that. Yeah, I don't think I have a, I've had a chance to talk to you since the junior like decision came down and he actually decided to be a Canadian. Um, how big of a deal is that for for Canadian soccer? Uh, it, it's huge. I think he he's a very talented player that that brings something to the Canadian lineup, brings some speed, brings some offensive creativity that they just they lack in, in a lot of ways, and it opens things it opens things up. Uh, so that, you know, they're going to bunker up. They're going to play defensively. But if they can have some guys that can get out on the counter, that can create some space, that will ultimately, I think, help guys like Lauren, who are, are the targets that are that are they're looking to score. You know, we saw it in the Gold Cup where Canada was very solid defensively, but they could not create anything. And then the one time they did come, you know, we all remember Kyle's miss there. But I, I think that having guys like Junior will ultimately make it easier for 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 Kyle Lauren to break through and become a truly uh, impactful international Dwayne Rollins from Canadian Soccer News, which you uh, you need to go and visit in order to get all the information on the Canadian Premier League and the plans there, and certainly follow Dwayne on Twitter at Twenty Fourth Minute. He's got a podcast. He's got well, how many podcasts are you doing these days? Just two, right? <laughs> uh, there's 
well, we have 21 shows on the Sports uh, Podcasting you're, Network. You're not Dwayne, hosting just... 21 shows, Dwayne. How many no, shows are you yeah. hosting? I'm I'm involved in four soccer well, shows. Okay, well, that's insane. You know, is one of his shows is called The Two Solitudes. We've made a bet here. Uh, Dwayne actually presented this on Twitter. Uh, winner of uh, winner of tonight's game, the loser has to play the national anthem um, of, of the other country on their show. So look forward to that Monday if the, if Canada shocks the United States tonight. We'll look forward uh, yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've already downloaded the Star Spangled Banner, but <laughs> hopefully. Oh, come on. Have some faith, man. You never know. It's a, it's a January it's friendly. Been, you really do never know, Dwayne. That, that is true. It's been since 1985, though, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. What's, the, uh, what's the website for the podcast so people can go find that? Um, sportspodcastingnetwork.com or canadiansoccernews.com. You can find it there. It's obviously on iTunes as well. Two Solitudes Podcast and 2S Extra are the two MLS-focused shows that we do. There you go. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, Dwayne. Appreciate it. Love to talk to you, man. Good, have, a, have a good uh, time watching that game tonight. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take, off, uh, take phone calls, predictions on tonight's games. Uh, I got a couple of news items worth noting. And Abby Wambach has a Barbie doll, apparently. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. We will update all of those IDs at some point in the near future, and it won't reference websites we're not on. But for the time being, just know we're on Backheel.com and ignore all that other stuff. Uh, Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. If you have thoughts on anything happening in the world of football today, uh, look, Alex Teixeira going to China for 50 million uh, euros. Um, the United States playing Canada tonight and whatever you expect out of that match. Um, let's see. What, what else is what else is out there? Again, Abby Wambach, thanks to Gringo Mark on Twitter. Abby Wambach has a, a bar, her own Barbie. It's pretty cool. I, I, I mean, certainly a, a worthy figure to be turned into a, a, a Barbie doll. I also have uh, here just a couple of notes. The St. Louis expansion situation. Again, it looks like MLS is really starting to ratchet up the heat as they push to to maybe open up St. Louis as a potential market for that league. Uh, The league getting involved in the process of finding a stadium site. The league getting involved in the process of vetting potential owners. We don't have uh, the, the... the dynamic is always fascinating to me. In which direction will this thing develop? Will it be the ownership group puts itself together and starts to make a push and starts to make noise and says, "Hey, MLS, look at us. Wait, you know, put our put your hand in the air and get your get the attention of MLS," or the other way around? MLS identifies a city. Hey, this would be a good market. Let's let's use our our skill set, our tool set, in order to go in. And make it happen. And you know what? What's interesting is I and, and I talked to um, what was his name, Benjamin Hockman, uh, on uh, SiriusXM last week. He wrote a column that specifically asked MLS to step in and help facilitate the process of bringing an MLS team to the city. Meaning, MLS, please come here with your 
with your your resources and help us get the the ownership lined up and help us get the stadium situation figured out. And here, that's that's what they're doing. I mean, maybe his column was a a major moment in the development of a potential MLS team in St. Louis. By the way, let's not forget that there is a USL team in St. Louis, and that uh, based on the the flooding that came through the the torrential downpours uh, that hit the area a little while back, they're still dealing with problems with their facilities and, and their fields, and I believe there's an opportunity. I saw this from my friend Charlie Bohm on Twitter today. I believe there's an opportunity to donate to help them get things back together. So go look for that. Go look for St. Louis. Is it St. Louis FC? I think it's St. Louis FC on uh, on Twitter, and, and you'll be able to um, to find out what's going on there because while it's great that, that there's an MLS push now in the city of St. Louis, there already is a professional soccer team there, and they have a really cool badge. You should check that out. I like their badge a lot. In fact, I do I have a St. Louis FC? I'm trying to stay on the mic and, and look around. Do, do I have a St. Louis FC uh, scarf? I want to say that I do. Yeah, it's right there. It's behind me. Let me see if I can do this. Let me turn the mic. Yeah, there it is right there. Very cool scarf uh, that I got from St. Louis FC. Thank you very much to them. All right. 646-832-3909. Let's talk to Al in Missouri. Speak of the devil. What's going on, Al? Hey, what's going on this morning? Well, um, here's a big question. Um, now that, you know, Saint, now that the MLS is now going to try to help, you know, St. Louis with a stadium proposal and everything else, question is, is that is Don Garber going to kind of do like a little bit of a Roger Goodell by putting St. Louis ahead of Miami on this situation if if, if he's found an ownership? Um, you know, if if... They can't it's figure possible. out Miami, then why wouldn't you? I mean, if, if everything came together quickly for St. Louis, I mean, this is why they opened up more spots, Al. This is yeah. why that the ownership meeting at MLS Cup, they came out and said, well, we're now targeting 28 teams because they wanted to open up a couple of spots in order to drive, you know, to drive that competition and, and give, but give themselves enough room to work in Miami, to work in St. Louis, to maybe work in San Antonio and Sacramento. They wanted to have those spots available. That's true. Anything, That's yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, and and look, I think, it's, it's, it's about, and, and the cynical idea, the cynical viewpoint is that it's about money because, of course, they're charging a $100 million franchise fee right now. But if these groups come together, want to be involved, have the financial backing, why wouldn't you want to put a team in St. Louis? Why wouldn't you want to put a team in Miami? Why wouldn't you want to, to, to jump on board what the Republic are doing in Sacramento? That's true. Or Las Vegas is, you know, Maybe. showing that Alderson's got the money right now and trying to build a new stadium yeah, there. Yeah, I, they're talking about a billion-dollar stadium for the, Ra- for the uh, Raiders. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't... I, Again, I'm not a fan of putting soccer in a football stadium. I realize that in, in Vegas, if you're going to put any professional team that plays through the summer, you better have a roof on the place. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm still not a fan of, of. I'm not a fan of Vegas because Vegas feels like it's not a real legitimate run at this thing. I know they've tried several times to get a stadium deal together, and it, it just seems like there's too much resistance. It's never going to happen. Although I know the Raiders' uh, plan involves 600 million dollars of public money. Which isn't getting reported in Vegas, so that's a that's an interesting development. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks anyway. All right, man. I appreciate the call, Alan St. Louis. Good right. stuff from uh, from Al. Let's talk to Patrick, South Carolina, down at, down at Clemson. What's up? Yes, Clemson. How are you doing today, Jason? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. 
You still have snow up there. Uh, we we got a little. We got piles here and there. Pretty much melted. It's been like fifty five, sixty degrees oh, the last nice. couple of days. Oh, that's nice. Um, anyway, quickly, I wanted to hopefully cover two things. First thing, quick. Um, Juan Carlos Soria's recent comments about, I suppose, the comments. I know there's a bit of back and forth about you know stuff that maybe lost translation, but you know, saying you know MLS maybe not the place to play when you're in the prime of your career. And it sort of reminded me, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann said some stuff similar to that not too long ago. And Don Garber came out and kind of said, basically tried to rebuke Klinsmann. And I was curious, you know, why Don Garber hasn't said anything about what Juan Carlos Sorry said. And because they don't, pretty obvious. because they don't, well, because they don't share the same, the, the same circle of friends, essentially. Patrick, I mean, the notion that, that the national team coach of the USA should be working in the same direction as the league in the USA makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's really nothing. Gar- if Garber says something about Osorio's comments, it just sounds like he's whining. I mean, it sounds like he's whining when he, when he goes after Klinsman, but it's a different kind of whining. I, I guess, but you, I, I kind of thought he would say something because it's been pretty apparent that MLS has been going after these Mexican players in their prime, you know, obviously we got Giovanni Dos Santos and, you know, now he's kind of been on the outside looking into the national team picture. And, you know, that completely shuts that avenue of opportunity out for MLS. If, you know, you're not going to get yeah, more Mexican yeah, players but, coming in. You're not going to attract more Mexican fans. Sure. But, but, but I think that, I think that, that Garber knows, I think the league knows that they're going to have to do their talking to Mexican players with their wallets. I, I, I think, don't think there's any other way to view this. I mean, they essentially, again, I think that in the, in the instance with Klinsman, Garber probably should have just let it go. I mean, he really probably should have let it go. He sounds like, he sounds like he's whining when he does what he did, uh, with Clinton rebuking him. I mean, the infighting is not a good look on the U.S. side of things because again, it's infighting. It's, it's two guys who have a stake in the same, in the, in the, in the, the quality of the soccer in the same country. Osorio does not, you know, aside from maybe one or two players who have already made their way here, one player, uh, in particular, he really doesn't have a stake in, in American soccer at all, um, or at least in MLS. He may have a stake in, in younger players who are uh, could be snapped up by MLS teams. So why would Klinsman, when there's that disconnect, he's, Osorio's coaching a whole other country, why would Klinsman, why would Garber step out and say something? Again, what, what is that going to do? The, the Mexican press has no allegiance to Don Garber or MLS at all, whereas you could argue the American soccer press is at least supposed to defend the product or defend the league or defend the idea of American soccer improving. Uh, that's true. That's fair. I, I just think from the league's perspective, they have they have to say some sort of something just to say, to try and curb the, that public perception that, you know, MLS is a retirement league or not a good league, which, you know, I mean, it's not Mexico but or, you know, Europe, but, you know, I would have just thought he would have said something like, "Oh, well, again, you know, I, I think that, that well, I was his opinion, but we're, we think we're doing a pretty good job at MLS here, sure. and we obviously got you know a Mexican player here, and he's been doing pretty well." I, I just don't think I don't. I just don't think that the first of all, the premise that Garber needs to say something because the the coaches of the two most prominent national teams in the region are saying that players should be going to Europe in their prime. I mean, that, that's not really a controversial statement. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, no. I mean, Klinsman, when Klinsman says, when Klinsman says he wants players to be playing in Europe, that shouldn't be controversial. What's controversial is if he is actively preventing MLS from being able to sign players. If, if 
Jordan Morris was if the price on Jordan Morris was driven up by a factor of a hundred percent. Don't remind me about Jordan Morris. What'd you say? <laughs> so don't remind me about Jordan. Well, I'm, Morris. I'm just saying, like, just as an example. And, and look, no, they, again, the college cup final. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, Clemson. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, you know. Klinsman has been regular about this stuff. I mean, this is not new. Uh, it, when he says it, it's not the first time he's ever said it. There and, and there's clearly, based on what Mayor Paulson said recently, and some of these other things, there's clearly an undercurrent within American soccer circles that Klinsman is working against the league. The, Juan Carlos Osorio making one public statement does not measure up to the same level of, of of disagreement that Klinsman has presented. So I don't think that Garber has the same responsibility even if you could you know even if you could make it uh, make a valid argument that he should say something. They're better off. The league is better off doing this stuff behind the scenes. They're going to these Mexican players and their agents and, and saying, "Hey, look, I know what the coach said. It's not, you know, we we can't control him, obviously, but we can offer you a, a good playing environment at, at a, uh, an excellent p- a salary in a in a less pressurized place. You know, all these th- all the things that MLS has going for it. I, I, I don't think, Patrick, that it's necessary for MLS to be fighting everybody who says something quote unquote negative about the league. I think that's a bad look, and I also think that you know as things progress you're going to see Mexican players playing in MLS get called up, and the thing will fix itself. Because one thing Osorio did after he made that statement, um, he came back and, and, and you know talked to Ivis Gullersep and said, no, I would never not call a player just because he's in MLS. Somebody talked to him about it. Somebody behind the scenes, probably in Mexico, said, hey, we need a good relationship with them, or we, we don't want to piss off MLS because they're going to be developing players that we might want to poach one day. You know, don't, don't do this. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I understand it from that viewpoint. Yeah. All right, Al. Uh, I'm sorry, Al. Uh, Patrick, get my callers mixed up. Patrick, appreciate the call. You anything else? Uh, do we have time or you want yeah, to Yeah, I, I, got, I got time. There's nobody else um, Nobody else calling in. Go ahead. Great. Um, I guess it's been a long time since I called in because I really hadn't had the chance. But, you know, I always call about college soccer. And uh, one of the things, you know, I know – especially following the college cup, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, place college soccer, whether it's good for development or not. One of the things that just never seemed to come up is just the fan or, you know, support for uh, college soccer at all, which I I think, especially the past year we've had at Clemson where we kind of had a supporters group doing a lot of stuff for the club. I I think that's the sort of thing that can make or break college soccer going forward, whether fans get engaged or interested in it, you know, as opposed to the development scene going toward these USL sides or something like that, you know, where some of these players may skip college for that. I think if college offered uh, a fan environment, I mean, I think it's the same thing, you know, for uh, basketball and football, you know, players come to develop here, especially just because it's the biggest thing. And, you know, the the money where the fan support is is generally going to be, where the development happens. Uh, hey, that's a, a, an interesting part of, of, of the college soccer discussion that we don't have enough, and, and I'm glad you bring it up, Patrick, because it's a reminder to me that, you know, <laughs> just because college soccer doesn't measure up to basketball or football doesn't mean that there's not a potential for it to become a bigger part um, of, of a college experience and, and that being a, a part of the draw for, for some of these kids. Um, if you're not, I mean, look... Not everybody's in an, an academy and going, you know, going to college from an MLS academy or, or choosing between Jordan Morris, 
signing with a, a professional deal versus going to college. A lot of these kids are just going to college. Um, the, the, if there was more momentum from the fan side of it, um, uh, then, then maybe it would be, it would feel more important. But the problem with that, Patrick, is that, you know, we have, we have a, a developed scholastic sports culture in this country, and I don't know that you can suddenly turn soccer into anything that, that measures up. I mean, there's a reason college baseball doesn't get a lot of uh, attention because they don't get crowds. I mean, people, there aren't 50,000 right. people going out to watch college baseball games. There's 50,000 people going out to watch college football games. So I, how, how do you think that the, uh, look, Clemson might be an exception. Maryland's an exception. Akron's an exception. UC Santa Barbara's an exception. But we're talking about a handful right. of schools in the country. Uh, I mean, it's tough. I, I think it just sorts to have to happen naturally for fans in a given college to see maybe what other places are doing, what MLS teams are doing, to sort of build that same momentum, you know, around uh, the team. I mean, that's certainly what's happened. Let, let me ask you something, pa- Patrick. We've me... gotten up to like fifth to tenth, and that's sort of the same thing you saw with a lot of MLS teams. It's like, you know, the Timbers Army or Sons of Ben really pushing for these teams and drove a lot of MLS success. They kind of just happened upon those teams, not that they were pushing for those markets. So I, I think the same sort of thing kind of needs to happen, you know, whether it's just, you know, college students from one campus to another saying, hey, we got this great thing going on. Maybe you should try and, you know, start a supporters group at your place, bring some flags, yeah, bring some. He, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a like question. Patrick, and, Patrick, Patrick, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, two, actually, two questions. One, in order for for college soccer to get uh, to get more people out, does it have to be an alternative to other college sports, or can the same people who are going to the basketball games and the football games also jump? I mean, do you think that there's room for that? Can you sell it to the football and basketball yes. fans? Yes, okay. I think it, it's not that it has to be an alternative; it just needs to be unique. Okay, and that's what's happened. I think. That's, I think, what's drawn a lot of these fans to soccer is, you know, it's a unique environment. It's not the same thing as football where, you know, football's got, you know, your cheerleaders and whatever. Crowd just makes a ton of noise when their team is on defense, you know. Soccer is totally different. You know, if you have people bringing flags or banners or singing, stuff like that, it's a totally different feel. Um, I mean, our supporters club, we aren't just a soccer sports club. We go out to a all the sports and these same people, you know, have fallen in love with soccer in the past three to two years because we've made an effort to kind of make it a unique experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I well, think, okay. Uh, you, you know, know I don't, look, I, you're, you're committed, you're committed to your team there at Clemson. I imagine well, it's yeah, difficult. It's, well, no, I imagine it's difficult to get excitement for the soccer team when the football team is as good as Clemson's football team is right now. I, I'm just, I'm right, just saying, exactly. like, 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 these things have to ex- exist co- uh, side by side, and well, you've already got the established culture of the they, football team. They, they can, but I, I, I think people will take notice. Like, when people, even in the football environment, people will take notice if the team's doing well to, to some regard or, you know, has fan interest because... Or right, a little right, bit of fan interest, at least, because then. God. Well, I got a couple people lined I'm up for. I'm going to give you an example. But, I, I got a couple okay. people lined up for calls, but let me get to my second question because, again, asking whether or not it needs to be alternative. The the, the second part of this, um, um, well, maybe I've even lost the thread here. I, I had another question in mind for you about developing a fan base for. Oh, do, do, do you think briefly here again? I want to get to some other people. 
Do you think the rules need to change and line up with the professional game in order to get people excited about college soccer? Uh, I don't think they need to change, but I, I think if more people like got interested in soccer, maybe via college, they they would realize eventually that you know the rules need to change. I, I think you know maybe if the schedule were different, where it's you know also fall and spring, then you've got you know if your later half of the season is in the spring, you know you've got more interest for that when there are less sports going on. Um, you know, I, I, I think really, you know, it can be a catalyst for, for changes, you know, maybe even if some soccer people who haven't been paying attention to college soccer, cause they're, you know, have only been watching the premier league or, or the league or whatever. And suddenly they're like, Hey, we got a cool team on campus. Oh, why are there rules where we should yeah. moan about that? And, try and get NCAA to okay. change it to right. regular right. soccer rules because there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. All right. Uh, Patrick, I appreciate the call. It's a, it's a great discussion. We, we could uh, bring it back mm-hmm. up on another day. There goes Patrick down at Clemson in South Carolina. Let's talk to uh, Nelly in Texas. What's up, Nelly? Hey, what's up, Jason? I was just curious if you happen to see the new way MLS teams get uh, championship stars on top of the jersey logo. Yeah, I saw that like on on Twitter last <laughs> night. I think Ariel Castillo from the league was was sharing that around. Uh, I don't know. Is that a, is that a big like? Is it a problem? Is it a big deal? Are people like con- concerned about this, Nelly? No, I think I think this is a better deal. Before they have the Scudetto with the U.S. flag in the back and the MLS trophy. Uh, this this seems to me a little bit more organized. Like if you have five titles, you get a gold star, like LA Galaxy. Yeah. If you want a title, you get the silver star below, and then you know if you have four, you get four little stars. I do. I it's do like. I do like the. I do like the. De- cool. I like the defending champion uh, getting a gold star with the year. Right? Isn't that how that works? You get a gold star. Yeah. With the year of the of your your title, which is obviously the previous year, and then once you hit that second year, it turns into a, a silver star that that goes above your crest. And then, as you said, you collect five of them, you get that big gold star, like the LA Galaxy, are the only team that, that get to have that one. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't have a problem. I, I think it's like I, I like that stuff. It's cool. I just saw some people like complaining that they were making it more complicated than it needed to be, but it's MLS. That's how we do it. Yeah, and I think they should stick to this one. They've been changing it. A lot lately, I kind of was throwing some ideas like maybe we should do like what Premier League does and get a, a golden logo patch with the year that you want it. Okay, I, I think that was better, but yeah. you never know. Hey, um, another quick question: uh, Nigel De Jong, did yeah. he sign as a DP? How did Galaxy get him? No, they're they're not signing him as a designated player. Uh, they're signing him as a. Uh, as a regular, I mean, they're play, so I believe they're using Tam probably to pay him down, and uh, he'll have a. Uh, I don't know. I, I I read you know I read the story from Kevin Baxter at the L.A. Times. It's it's all included in there. What the how they convinced him. His his contract is backloaded, meaning he's not a DP this year, but he if he stays with the club next year, he will be a DP. He'll take the spot vacated by Steven Gerrard, who's only got one year left on his deal. Okay. That makes sense. I was just wondering how they loaded up with Cole yeah, yeah. Uh, and him and Van Dam. You know, Galaxy MLS likes to help them out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you. I guess you could say that. Nelly, you got anything else, man? No, that's it. Hoping right, to man. see USA and Canada win tonight. I think Canada has been stepping up really good, and you know, I've told some friends Canada. 
may have a shot of getting into the hexagonal round. We'll, we'll see. I, I, they tie versus I think this in, is going to be. Vancouver. They got a shot. This is going to be a good. Yeah, they have to get a result in that first leg. This is going to be. Um, the uh, yeah, whatever they, they this is going to be a test of the Americans to break down a bunkered end team. That, that's a good thing, certainly. I, I, I'm a USA fan, but you know I'm a nasty Dallas fan and like Tesho, so I'm pulling for Tesho to score a goal tonight or two. Okay, there you go. Appreciate the call, Nelly. I don't want two goals from Tesho. That probably means the US USA loses. Maybe not. Adam in Winnipeg. What's hey, up? How's, hey, how's it going today? It's going well, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, nothing much. Just uh, getting all excited about the new, uh, I guess, Canadian Premier League coming up the next year. So I just want to know what your thoughts are on it. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think it's the right move for Canada. Um, you know, I understand because of the way our sporting cultures have, have been married for the last, you know, 80, 90 years, why it makes sense to have Canadian teams in MLS. But I think that there's certainly reason for Canada to want to have its own wholly contained first division league. I mean, again, you know, I, I guess there are going to be FIFA exceptions made and they'll be able to call this their first division, even though, even though they'll have Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto in MLS. I, I think, you know, you need, you need an opportunity for Canadian players in, in a much, um, you know, more numerous setting than, than MLS provides because there's only so many roster spots. MLS is... You know, at this point, the, the salaries are going to make it difficult for a developing Ameri- uh, a developing Canadian player to get on board. And if you have right. if you have eight teams out there with with seventy five percent of their roster spots dedicated to Canadian players, that's a, that's a good thing. I, what you know, obviously, I think it all depends on people going out and supporting it, Adam. Yeah, I think the challenge is like I think that seventy five percent initially is going to be a challenge, but I think eventually I'll grow. But I think attendance, I think in the few the first few years is going to be a Adam? Adam, are you there? I seem to have lost Adam. Hello. Hello. There you are. You're back. You, attendance the first two years will be, you said something. Yeah, I know. I just, I think attendance is going to be challenged, <laughs> but I'm thinking if, you know, if attendance is around like 35 to 5,000 a game, that would be really good. So. Yeah, I, you know, you got to have, uh, from everything that Dwayne said, what what struck me most is that they they seem to have some realistic notions about how this thing is going to have to be, you know, it's going to have to start very small and, and grow and 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 you know, look, even if it tops out where the Canadian Premier League has ten or twelve teams and they're they're the average attendance is five thousand, that's still a viable soccer league as long as you keep your costs fairly low in terms of payroll and operational costs. So and, and again, having the CFL teams on board. Cuts uh, cuts into a lot of the the operational costs. You don't have to pay the rent on the stadiums directly. It, it, that's this is this is something worth doing. Let's say it that way. And also, I think the demographics have changed. It's a lot more favorable now than it was in the like late eighties, early nineties when the CSL, the original CSL, was playing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the the, the growth of soccer across North America makes this more viable a prospect. I mean, my, Mike on Twitter has a. A question, how will it ever be truly their Premier League if three of their biggest markets aren't in the league? There's nothing that says the Canadian Premier League can't put teams in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. It's just that they're going to have to compete with the Whitecaps, TFC, and, and, and the impact for fans. And, and that's going to be difficult, but that doesn't, that doesn't preclude them from trying. No, and I mean, that's 
you know, then it might provide a more alternative like format for fans who can't afford to go see TFC games, to go yep. see uh, Canadian Premier League games, but also in terms of like cities like Winnipeg who haven't had pro soccer like I don't know, like a generation or two, like this is a great opportunity. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know what the I don't know what the strength of the the soccer market is in Regina, but uh, you know, if there's fans there, hey, you know, put it put a put a team there. Like, again, you're not you're not shooting for. I mean, Regina's not a, a, a big city. You're not shooting for thirty thousand people to come out to these games. You're you're shooting for no, no, God. of course not. There you go. So so absolutely give and, and give. You know, I, again, I know I know that money drives interest in professional sports for kids at a certain level. I know certainly cultural importance is, I mean, look, the reason Canadian kids play hockey is because everybody plays hockey. The reason American kids play football is because everybody plays football. Soccer is not there yet, but you still have to give these kids an outlet. You have to give the ones who do want to stick with the sport an opportunity to see to see the professional game, certainly to see, um, you know, create heroes for them i mean i i remember being a kid and going out to minor league baseball games and i didn't care it was minor league i just wanted to see those guys play if you have an opportunity to go out and and see you know canadians on a soccer field getting paid to play the game and they become your heroes that that can be a a big driver of of canadian soccer yeah and also like i said like for getting people it's also you gotta have a supporter culture i think as well and that's gonna also be critical in moving the league forward yeah, you know, I, I wonder about that part, Adam, and, and I wonder who takes on the responsibility of creating those groups. I mean, you know, because of where soccer is in this part of the world, it becomes a, a counterculture alternative to other sports kind of attitude about putting these things together and, and going out and, and watching your team and supporting your team, standing and, and cheering and, and, and whatever. And those supporter groups are typically launched if they are launched ahead of time or or in concert with the club by people who are of that sort of uh, I don't want to put hipster on it I don't think that's fair but certainly people <laughs> who maybe aren't necessarily going out to the CFL games and 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 I wonder how you match up those those things and and, and again whether or not there's enough interest in the sport in a place again I'm going to use Regina for there to be a a supporters group that pops up and has 500 people in it yeah that's I mean, you're right, and that might be a challenge, but it could also work out in like places like Winnipeg or Vancouver yeah, or yeah. Montreal or Toronto. So. It's true. It's true, absolutely. And look, again, there's going to be enough people in a place. like They may struggle to compete with TFC, of course, if they're in Toronto, but there's going to be enough young soccer fans in Toronto to, for there to be a group of people who take it upon themselves to be sort of Again, the, the, not only are they counterculture in terms of the sport they like, they're counterculture to TFC, the mainstream version of the sport they like. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there you go. All right, Adam, you got anything else? No, I think that's it, and just hope Canada plays well tonight and right, we'll you know get happens, ready man. for the World Cup we'll qualifiers. So. Well, thanks for the call, and we'll see if I'm playing O Canada on uh, the show on uh, on Monday. Which which version of O Canada should I download? I can go to Spotify and find one. I'm sure a, a very, uh, a very good uh, rendition of O Canada." Do I need it? Here's the question: If I go get, if I go find one now, am I jinxing the U.S. tonight? Or if I wait, like, should I put it off and be confident and not even worry about it because probably not going to need it? And then 
if I if they do happen to lose, just do it on Monday. It's probably the best thing to do, right? I don't risk the jinx, and it's only going to take me five minutes anyway. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Uh, been an interesting week. Thank you very much for all the calls. Guests uh, this week have been fantastic, including Dwayne Rollins today from Canadian Soccer News. You can follow him uh, on Twitter at Twenty Fourth Minute. Check out Sports Podcasting Network. As he said, they've got twenty one podcasts. Uh, several of them on soccer, including four that he's involved with. I don't know how he does it. Um, we will uh, step aside. We'll uh, we'll watch that game tonight. We'll uh, come back on on Monday. We'll talk about USA Canada. Talk about the weekend events in Europe as well. Talk about China some more. Seriously, guys, the window in China doesn't close for another three weeks. We're gonna see some more sales. You can bet your butt. Be right back. I'll be back on Monday. See you then. Bye. Wide awake in the middle of the desert heat 100 miles to New Mexico With the devil in my limousine